You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So you, you've heard me say many times uh, since I've been here all over a year that um, while our faith is a very personal matter, it is. It's really personal to each one of us. It was never intended to be individualistic. It was always meant to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So while we have a very personal faith, it's meant to be shared and lived out in community with other believers, with other Christ followers. Life in Christ was also meant to be shared with other non-Christ followers as well. So there's two, when we talk about the church, there's really two, three, but I'm going to talk about two purposes. One is that we have this idea of church as community. It's the body of Christ. It's being, and we really, well, we spend a lot of time talking about this here on Sunday mornings. Um, the reason why we give extra time to say hi to your neighbor, you know, at the end of worship. Um, the reason why even uh, during communion, it's more, of a, it's more of a togetherness kind of a thing that we, we, we try to celebrate the Lord's Supper that way. And this idea of sharing life together is something we really work hard at to try and establish within our congregation. But there's also this idea of church as mission, that we also have a responsibility not just to hoard the life in Jesus to ourselves, but that we have a responsibility. So it's both a privilege and a responsibility to share Jesus with others. It's a privilege because we have a gift that others so desperately need. We really do. And uh, sometimes the longer we're, we're in church, or the longer we've been church, the longer we're part of a Christ follower, I think the more we lose sight of that fact of just what a precious gift we have. Um, because we, we lose sight of what that change and that transformation is. But it is a privilege to be able to share an amazing gift to other people. It's a responsibility as well, because one of the last things that Jesus told his followers before he returned to heaven was that they, they need to be able to share the gift with others. In fact, in Matthew 28, he actually says these words, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That was the last, one of the very last things Jesus said to his followers. That mission wasn't just for that group. It continues to this day. That, that's the expectation that he has. <clears throat> Jesus, to talking about that, this one time he's trying to make a point. Some of you are familiar with the story where, he, where he's, he's trying to make a point. He says, think about a shepherd, and he loses one of his sheep. What does he do? He says, he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And when he finds the one, he puts him on his shoulders, carries it back, and he throws a party with all his friends. Because, hey, I found the one. He was lost. Now I found it. And, and, and Jesus says, that's what heaven does. Heaven celebrates every time the one is found. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You and I, all of us at one time, were the one. Jesus pursued us. He found us. Or he went, came after us and, and pursued us and found us and when we surrender life to him, he carried us back and we're now part of the flock. So what's ironic is we now become part of the 99. He's going back out to find the other one. The search for the one continues. And he invites us to share in that search and in that, that uh, process himself. Jesus talking about himself. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. 
So that was his point. He's, he also said, he said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came for others. And that's the responsibility that we share as his followers. Remember last week we talked about being a disciple. And to be a disciple meant that you wanted to be and do what your rabbi did. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he's calling us to do as well. Now, the same idea is, share, is conveyed in a story that we see in the book of John. John chapter 4, and it's one, um, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard, the story we know as the Samaritan woman. So John chapter 4, if you want to follow along on the screens or whatever electronic device you have, or even if you have the archaic paper version, um, I see some of those out there. That's great. Um, isn't that funny how technology just changes that whole thing? But uh, anyway, so now we had to go through Samaria, he being Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Father, as we dig a little deeper into this passage and the story, help us to understand, uh, Lord, how this applies to us today, how we're to live our life and uh, what you might expect from us as well. So, uh, Father, for the next few minutes, Father, open our ears to hear what uh, needs to be heard, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, so let me give you some background to this story. Do I have a, my map? Okay, my map's up. I had a pointer, but I discovered that it doesn't work on TV screens. Uh, so let me, let me give you a little context here. So some of you have heard this story, my f- uh, pointer. Um, and I'll try to stand out of the way here. So we know Jesus and his disciples were somewhere in here. They were somewhere on the north. They were in Judea. They were in some of this area, but they they had been baptizing prior with John. So they were somewhere in here. They wanted to go up to Galilee, we know from the preceding verses, so which is up here. So he, by, he had to go through 
uh, this area called um, Samaria, um, which is directly in between uh, where his destination. Um, it's about from here to here, it's about 70 miles, roughly speaking. Obviously, it depends on how far up you want to go to, to um, Galilee or how far down, but roughly speaking, it's about 70 miles. So if you're walking this journey, you know, on your average, you know, 10, 15 miles a day, 20 miles a day, you're, you're just going to take two or three days. Two if you're really aggressive and really getting after it. But normally it'll take, uh, take about three days to get there. And so it's interesting in verse 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria. And that's the path. And the town of Sychar is right here, about in the middle. So coming from here, he's about half, stopping at the toll, he's about halfway there. Halfway to his point in his journey. Now, what's interesting, most of us know, in the passage tells us that, because the woman says, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. We know that there's some animosity there. I don't know how many of you know that actually this all began, we see this in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> in, in, that, in that part of the, of the, in the Old Testament, Israel has just been overthrown by Assyria. So the, the, the kingdom of Israel no longer exists. They've been conquered. And what was interesting is back in the day when an, um, when an army conquered um, a, another uh, country, one of the things that they often did was they would carry back with them part of the population to their home country. So this is where, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that story, or Daniel in the lion's den. These were Israelites who had been carried back to the conquering co- country. What was also happened at the time of the king of Assyria, which when you think of king of Assyria, think of actually present-day Syria. So it was that region. He also, and it says this in 2 Kings chapter 17, he also took some people from that part of the world and repopulated Israel with some of these people. So this was forced resettlement that was happening. And it's really interesting to, when you're actually reading this. And the, but what happens is that they were not following the laws of God. And it says that God sent lions and, and lions were killing some of the foreigners who were now living in the country. And so ironically, they, they send a note to the king and says, hey, this isn't working. We don't know the God of this territory. And because we don't know how to appease him, he sent lions to kill us. We need someone to teach us the religion of the land. And so a priest that had been exiled was sent back to Israel to teach them Judaism or teach them the ways of the Jewish population, of the Israelites. But what was interesting is that um, it says that they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So by this point in time with Jesus, 750 years have gone by but you still have this hodgepodge of faith and religion where there are some really strong elements of, of Judaism, of Jewish religion faith, but it was intermingled with some of the other stuff as well. Very, very much what we'd see in our own culture this day. People mix and match and pick and choose, mix and match, pick and choose different parts of faith and religions to create their own, which is what was happening here in the time of Jesus. Um, Jews, especially the Pharisees, considered the Samaritans half-breeds. Because of the intermingling of population, they didn't consider them fully Jewish. <clears throat> so this is what's going on here. And so that was why, in fact, it was so, um, the animosity was, was bad with some groups of Israelites. 
um, the religious Jews, the Pharisees, those who are most religious, would literally, if you're in Jericho there, instead of walking through, if they had to go up to Galilee, they literally would walk around and go to east of, up east of the Jordan River in order to get up to Galilee just to avoid the territory of Samaria. That, we don't get that sense. That was with Jesus. I think that was some of the more religious people. But Jesus, as was walking right through the middle of it, and he stops about halfway up in the town of Sychar. So that's a little background to the story as to why, what was happening and why. What's very clear that the woman had a very personal encounter with Jesus. I mean, she had a one-on-one conversation with him. Very few people in Scripture had. Most of the conversations with Jesus we see are with groups of people. There's a crowd and there's an individual conversation happening, but to have an extended one-on-one conversation rarely happened with Jesus. So what do we know about this encounter? One, we know that he was led by the Holy Spirit. Although it doesn't specify the Holy Spirit there, a couple things I thought were interesting. In verse 6, we see that it's noon. The author tells us that it was, this is when he stopped. I have to believe that Jesus was thirsty long before he got to this point in time. <clears throat> why hadn't he stopped off to get a drink of water beforehand? Or why was he stopping now at this point in time at this town in this well? Again, I mean, it's just those questions. Um, Verse 8 really intrigues me. All the disciples left Jesus to go into town to buy food. We never see that happening in Scripture where Jesus is left alone. When you think about your own self, if you're traveling with a group of people, does the group ever abandon one person and they all go off by themselves? It rarely happens. It's the exception. Usually there's two or three, hey, I'll hang back with Johnny and we'll, we'll," you know, there's usually one or two that hang back or they, you know, that, that don't, but that doesn't not the case here. All, in this case, all of the disciples, all the apostles, and anyone else who was with them went into town, and Jesus was left alone to have this conversation with this woman. I just think that's really odd and unusual given human dynamics and group dynamics. So we know that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. We also know that Jesus took a common need and he turned it into an opportunity. Jesus didn't force an awkward conversation. He didn't ask the woman, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Right? And he just, it was, hey, can I have a drink of water? I mean, how natural is that? It was just part of that. Now, here's something else that's interesting. There was risk in, what Jesus, in his approach. In the sense that the woman, because the Jews and the Israelis didn't, or I'm sorry, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't associate she could have just ignored Jesus, got her water, and left. She could have just, I'm not even going to, you know, just because she was so afraid of that. <clears throat> or she could have got him the water, handed it to him, and never said a word. I mean, there's many ways this woman could have responded. But even so, he engaged the woman in the course of a normal conversation. It was, she was getting water, he was thirsty, hey, can I get some water? Pretty natural. We also know that Jesus was more concerned for a lost woman than social protocol. Clearly, this part of the story, the audience who's, the writer is writing to non-Jews, or at least people who don't live locally, because he had to explain in the passage that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate. So he's explaining that. 
But that helps us because now we know that this was, this was happening, that this was not normal. It was not acceptable for a Jew to address a Samaritan. Um, and I do know within some of the Pharisee laws, it was illegal or against the religious law to actually enter the home of a Samaritan. Um, and so that was just not done. It's also not acceptable for a man to address a woman alone. Now that tradition actually is, it, it still continues today. That it is just improper for a man to talk to a, a single woman without someone else there. Um, so that's just socially unacceptable. But Jesus wasn't concerned about social protocol. He was much more concerned about the heart of the woman. Jesus also, he operated in the supernatural to reveal the woman's need. How did he know about her past husbands? We get the sense that, you know, they never met before. She didn't know him. He didn't know her. He never lived in that town. So how did he know that? We have to believe that the Holy Spirit gave him discernment. Here's the thing. The story doesn't end with this woman. And the verses that follow the passage we just read, the woman goes back into town and she tells everyone about her encounter with Jesus. And she says, come and see. Come and see this man who just told me everything I had ever done. And the people of the town come out and it says that they talked to Jesus and they convinced him to stay longer. And that Jesus ended up staying in town for two days talking and sharing and living with them. And it says, and because of his words, many more became believers. The woman had an amazing encounter with Jesus. But because she was willing to talk about it with others, they too had an encounter with Jesus that changed their lives for all eternity. Our job is not to change anyone our job is simply to bring people to Jesus. And we see this throughout the Gospels. Amazing things happen when people, <clears throat> when, when we bring people to Jesus. In Matthew, 20, Matthew 4, it says, news about Jesus spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Luke 4, verse 40 says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. John 6, Andrew brings a little boy with five loaves and two fish. He brings him to Jesus and we know that 5,000 men plus women and children all got to have dinner that day. And one of my favorites is in John chapter 1, verse 41. The apostle who ends up becoming the, the apostle, or the, Andrew, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, Simon is the one we know as Peter, Think about that a second. <clears throat> Peter becomes the apostle. Jesus says, upon you I will build my church. He becomes what every pope aspires to within the Catholic denomination. He was it. Peter was the central figure 
among the disciples and the apostles of Jesus. All that happened because his brother Andrew said, hey, come and see. I just met this guy. He might be it. Come and see. And he brought him to Jesus. How cool is that? I mean, Andrew, you know, that's me. You know, that was I, Peter, all him. Yeah, but it wouldn't have happened without me. You know, I mean, he's going to be a little ego about it. But think about that. <clears throat> How many of you can tell, know the story of Billy Graham? But actually, you've heard the story about the Sunday school teacher who led him to the Lord back when he was a little boy. We just don't know what our life might, how it might impact other people simply by virtue of us just bringing them to Jesus. I am so grateful that the people of Grace Covenant get this. Um, We actually have a a story from a a woman, her name is Kelly. Uh, She attends our Cornelius campus, uh, but she was sharing a story, uh, her story, that we just said, we need to get this on video. So I actually want to share it with you. It's a two-minute story, so if we could uh, hear from Kelly. So I was recruiting for a job for somebody in Charlotte, and... I came across Sarah's resume and we hit it off right away. We became best friends. So three months later, after dropping a couple of hints and us hanging out a couple of times, she was like, I just, I think Grace Covenant is, is where you need to go. You need to check it out. And I was like, oh, I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty big church. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming for me. I was like, I just, I don't know if I should do it. I'll, I might be like lightning bolts might come down at me (laughs) if I go near the church. So um, a lot of transition happened over the years. So Noah's dad and I got a divorce and that tends to cause havoc. I didn't know where to like put my hands, so to speak. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know which direction I needed to go. And it almost felt like everything was self-imploding, like it was just closing in on you. Where can I find happiness because I'm just I'm not happy and I was super disconnected from my son and there was just a lot of disconnection everywhere but I didn't want to let Sarah down I didn't want to to miss that friendship or mess that up at all so I went and man, as soon as I went in it was it was game over um you know worship team was going and you know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent a second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians, um, and it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, <clears throat> so it was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we've seen there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. They finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. 
Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who's feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been, and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So, Father, we thank you again for this day. And, Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. That being true, why do we so often assume responsibility for someone else? In other words, we fret and we worry. Like, well, what if they don't? What if they say no? Or what if they now think I'm some kind of religious freak and we're no longer friends? And what, what? as if we kind of control that whole dynamic. We're not responsible for their decision. We are responsible to invite them to meet Jesus. What does that look like? It may look different for each of us in every situation. So you can't save anyone, but what you can do is make yourself available. Make yourself available. The Samaritan woman, Sarah, that we heard about in the video, they didn't have to make anything happen. They didn't have to force themselves on anyone. But they did have to be intentional. The woman, um, the Samaritan woman, did have to be intentional about inviting her friends to Jesus. Sarah did have to be intentional about inviting Kelly to church. It's very easy to keep our head down and let ourselves be distracted or make excuses and not say anything. But I think God calls all of us to make ourselves available when the opportunities present themselves. You can also tell your story. 
the Samaritan woman didn't go back and try to convince them about Jesus. She didn't say, hey, let me, let me go back in the scriptures and tell you why this man's Jesus Christ. And she didn't, all she did was say, hey, come meet him. That's a whole lot more simple than trying to say, I've got to have this all figured out myself when most of us still don't have it all figured out. So it's not about us having all the answers. It's about us being able to invite them to encounter Jesus. <clears throat> and what she said was, look at what he did. He told me everything, I'd ever, all, anything I've ever done. Basically said, here's my story. Here's my encounter with Jesus. Come and see. And see, here's the thing. People can argue theology with you all day long. You're not going to convince anybody about anything, and especially when we get into social issues. Um, there's just so many things other that there are just some really sharp divides. So we don't need to convince anyone of their rightness or wrongness of that. Here's what is most effective, telling them your story. Before I met Jesus, this was my life. After I met Jesus, this is what it looks like now. This is my experience. Kelly, in, in the video, she said, before Jesus, she used words like havoc. She wasn't happy. She felt disconnected. You notice her words she used after she found Jesus? She felt connected. She used the word quiet. She said, I'm at peace. She said, she said not, life's not perfect. There's still things I'm working out. But overall, something has changed and something significant. <clears throat> And that is the result of, of just simply us telling them our story. What has Jesus done in your life? What does that look like for you? You can also extend the invitation. We've got to invite people to meet Jesus. <clears throat> there's no shortcut. There's no way around it. We've got to ask can't use mental telepathy. Um, we can't, they're not going to know this by us just being good around them. You now people will see me that I'm a good person and they'll know. No, they won't. They don't know. There's a lot of good people out in our society and culture who are very far from Jesus, very far from God. You, we need to extend the invitation. We need to say, hey, come and see. <clears throat> so in the story of the Samaritan woman, the disciples get back from the grocery store um, and the woman hurries back to town to tell every one of her experiences, and she invites them to come and meet Jesus. And then what's really interesting, Jesus and the disciples get into this odd conversation about food. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Although the passage doesn't say this, I have to believe that as Jesus is saying these words, he's looking towards town and he's watching possibly hundreds of people starting to walk towards him, to meet him and to see him. And he's telling them, and he's telling us, look around, the fields are white unto harvest. Ripe for harvest, I'm sorry. This week, 
you and I have an opportunity to invite people to encounter Jesus with the Nick V um, meetings. Um, Nick, some of you saw the video, some of you were there last year. Um, an amazing communicator. Funny as all get out. He just tells stories. Um, it just, he has, you're laughing half the time. But when he gets serious about Jesus, and he is very serious about Jesus, it really does capture people's heart. So it's a great opportunity. He's, let's just be honest, he's a novelty. And hey, this guy's speaking at our church. He's born with no arms and legs. Really, how does that work? You know, he's married, has four kids. Fantastic story. But they will encounter Jesus. I promise you that. The question for all of us then is, and I appreciate what Mike said um, about making a decision to be there, and I think that's really significant. But I think the big question for us is, who are you going to invite? to go with you. Who are you going to invite to come and meet Jesus in a way that might change their life for all eternity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you for this story of the Samaritan woman that recognizing that all of us, we love to come to Jesus ourselves and we love what he can do for us and the relationship we can have and, and the, the, how our lives are changed. And Father, that's really, really exciting. But Father, there's another dynamic to being a disciple of Jesus and that is to share that life change with other people, that, that you desire others, not just us. It's not like you closed the door into your kingdom once we entered the door is still open and you're still wanting others to come. And Father, you've, for an amazing, amazing thing, Lord, you've asked us, you've invited us to be a part of that process with you. We get to invite others to come meet Jesus. So Lord, my prayer is that we would be much more attentive to those opportunities that come around us family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, as we develop relationships, as we have conversations, as talking something as simply about water and, and getting a drink, but there's an opportunity there to maybe shift it to spiritual things and be able to maybe share our story about what God has done for us and how our faith has changed the way we live life and has changed the nature of our life altogether. And Father, my prayer as well that um, as we think about the Nick V meetings coming up, that you would put people in our minds, people that we, that you would want us to invite. And Father, then would we then have the courage to invite them to come and to be a part of it. Father, give us opportunities and may we recognize those opportunities when they arise. For Lord... This, your gift of eternal life, your gift of, of living within our hearts was never meant to be kept amongst ourselves. It was meant to be shared with others. And so, Father, help us to be conscious of that and aware of that, that we can be part of the life transformation process in others. So, Father, it's in the name of Jesus I pray this, and Lord, we continue to put ourselves in your hands and trust you for all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.